Good morning, Mr. Phelps. I pity the fool goes home crying to his mama. Don't get dramatic now, all right? By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're going back in time, back to the time when I was a wee lad. Yes, ancient history time today. Alright, I'm not that old. But I'm an old dude, we know that. We've talked about that quite frequently. And one of the things that I like to talk about and reminisce about and tell stories about is the stuff that I grew up with that's no longer around. Sometimes it's stores, sometimes it's products, sometimes it's food. So today's episode is a little more of that. It's a mishmash of stuff that I just started thinking about that I realized we used to have or we used to worry about or we used to watch or we used to do that we don't do anymore or that we don't have anymore. Now, the episode today is inspired by toilet paper. I know that's going to sound weird, right? But hear me out. When I was a kid, we used to have colored toilet paper. You could get toilet paper in pink or in blue or in green. They used to dye toilet paper. I came across a picture of colored toilet paper on the internet earlier this week, and I realized, oh, yeah, we don't have colored toilet paper anymore. What the hell happened to that? I remember colored toilet paper was important because you wanted your toilet paper to match your bathroom. And you're probably thinking to yourself, what do you mean you wanted your toilet paper to match your bathroom? When I was a kid, bathroom fixtures came in colors. You used to get pink bathrooms. You used to get blue bathrooms. You used to get green bathrooms. Nowadays, toilet fixtures, sink fixtures, they're white. Or if you're really fancy, they may be beige. Ooh, you went all beige, did you? But I remember in the house that I grew up in, our toilet was yellow. The sink was yellow. The bathtub was yellow. It wasn't a bright yellow, but it was definitely yellow. And back then, you could buy yellow toilet paper to match your yellow bathroom fixtures. I remember my grandmother's bathroom. Now that I think about it, my grandmother had pink bathroom fixtures. Pink toilet, pink sink, pink bathtub, and of course, pink toilet paper to match it all. It was important to match. But somewhere along the line, our tastes changed. We didn't want pink bathrooms or green bathrooms or blue bathrooms anymore. I don't know why, but we didn't. And so we didn't need pink toilet paper, blue toilet paper, green toilet paper. We just didn't need it anymore because all of our bathrooms were white or beige. And white goes with everything. Now, of course, me being me, I had to look this stuff up. It's just a style thing, really, as far as the bathroom fixtures are concerned. But there's actually a reason they stopped making colored toilet paper, aside from the style thing. There were two things, actually. Dyes are expensive. To dye the paper was an extra step, and it cost more money to do that. But also, the dyes that they used. Turns out that the dyes that they used in toilet papers weren't necessarily good for consumers. See, they started introducing dyed and colored toilet paper in the 1950s, but it wasn't really well-regulated. They didn't really check to see what they were putting in the toilet paper. And as you probably realize, that's a very sensitive area where you'd be using that toilet paper. It wasn't until the 1980s that doctors in the U.S. started to warn U.S. consumers that the dyes in toilet paper could be harmful to the skin. Oh, it only took them 30 years to figure that out. Now, do you think that the dyes in the toilet paper caused people to consider what color the fixtures in their bathrooms were? I don't know about that. But it was in the 1980s that colored toilet paper and colored bathroom fixtures really started fading out. But once I saw that picture of the Charmin toilet paper, it had blue and it had pink, I remembered it. I remembered, oh yeah, I remember colored toilet paper. What the hell happened to it? And now we know. 
By the way, you can still buy colored toilet paper. It's just really expensive. It's not Charmin. I looked it up on Amazon. There is a company that makes all different kinds of colored toilet paper. You can get black. You can get fuchsia. You can still get colored toilet paper if you want it. As for me, I'm content with my white toilet paper. Naturally, thinking about colored toilet paper and the colored bathroom fixtures got me to thinking about the colored kitchens that we used to have. When I was growing up, we had all different kinds of colors in our kitchens. These days, everybody's talking about stainless steel. We want a stainless steel fridge. We want a stainless steel oven. We want our appliances to be white or stainless. We want our countertops to be granite. I grew up in a house with a Formica countertop that worked fine. I mean, what do you need a countertop for? To put stuff on. Formica works. But as far as the appliances are concerned, oh, we had colors. We had almond, which is beige. I know why almond is beige, I don't know. But almond is beige. There was avocado, which is green. Remember those green ovens, those green refrigerators? You've probably seen pictures in the Brady house, Grandma's old house. You could also get it in Harvest Gold. You don't really need to explain Harvest Gold. It's gold. But Harvest Gold was another big color. They had a color that I always called brown. But as I was preparing today's episode, I looked it up. It was actually called Copper Tone. Some companies called it Cocoa. But Copper Tone was this dark brown that you would get on certain ovens and certain refrigerators. There was a period back in the late 60s, early 70s, where the earth tones were big, and so brown was important. Harvest gold was important. You wanted that earthy atmosphere in your kitchen. We don't have those colors anymore. If you have a kitchen with almond or avocado or harvest gold or copper tone, people say, it looks dated. Now, I was reading an article. Apparently, avocado is making a bit of a comeback. People seem to like that green. Of all of those colors, the green was my least favorite. I actually kind of liked the Harvest Gold. I thought it looked bright. I think that's the color that my mother had in the kitchen. I think that's the color of the dishwasher and the oven. My parents were never big on matching the colors. I don't think our fridge matched anything. They just got a fridge. I think the oven and the dishwasher were a Harvest Gold or maybe it was a yellow. They definitely matched, but I don't remember exactly what color they chose. Knowing my dad, it was more of a yellow. Kind of a light harvest gold, I guess. And I remember the neighbors across the street, they had the avocado, and I always thought the avocado was cool. Ooh, green appliances. Don't ask me why, it was just a kid thing. I don't know why I liked avocado. I did, as a kid. Nowadays, as an adult, I couldn't care less what color it is. Does it keep the food cold? Does it wash the dishes? Does it cook the food? Yes? Okay, that's all I need. Functional appliances. As long as we're in the kitchen, figured I'd tell you about a food that I grew up with that we probably don't miss, but I vividly remember it. Jello. Now, I've talked about Jello in the past, but this is a specific kind of Jello. I vividly remember the celery flavored Jello. Yes, there was vegetable flavored Jello when I was growing up. Back in the 60s and the 70s, Jello was a huge product. People made Jello all the time. Jello was sweet, of course. They had all kinds of sweet flavors strawberry, orange raspberry, all the fruit flavors. But they also had vegetable flavors, and I remember the vegetable flavors because it was a fancier way to get vegetables into our diet. I remember my mother making the celery-flavored jello and shredding carrots and putting the shredded carrots in the celery-flavored jello and that being one of our side dishes for dinner in the summertime. I know, doesn't that sound gross? Celery-flavored jello? Oh yeah, it was a thing. 
Now, celery flavor is the only one that I remember my mother having, but I looked it up. There was actually four different vegetable-flavored jellos that they had back in the 60s and the 70s. They had a mixed vegetable flavor, they had an Italian salad flavor, and they had a seasoned tomato flavor. Now, I don't remember any of those, but I remember the celery jello. And I remember making it. I remember making celery jello. My mom made regular jello, too. I mean, <laughs> it's all regular. Should I call it normal jello? Strawberry is normal. Celery, mm, not so much. I don't know. How do you classify your jellos? Strawberry, raspberry, orange, that's the normal stuff. Once you get to celery and seasoned tomato, you're kind of out in left field. You've strayed a little too far from normal for us. And of course, when I was preparing the episode, I had to look up what other flavored jellos there were, aside from the vegetable flavors. I didn't know that jello had a whole bunch of failed sweet flavors. They had a bubblegum flavored jello, never saw it. They had a chocolate flavored jello, we didn't get that one either. They also had cola and cotton candy flavored jellos. I wish we could have had one of those. There was a maple syrup jello, which just sounds thick, doesn't it? Maple syrup jello? I mean, what do you serve that with? I'm trying to imagine. Is maple syrup jello a breakfast jello? Do you have your French toast with a side of maple syrup jello? But yes, it existed. At one time, maple syrup jello was a thing. I've talked about this next one a little bit in passing in the past. But I wanted to mention it again because it was such a big thing in my childhood. I've talked about how after school we would watch Bugs Bunny. Sometimes the Flintstones would be on. That would be afternoon syndicated cartoon programming that we could watch. There was no cartoon network. There was no Nickelodeon. Don't forget, we had six stations. That was it. So we were a prisoner to whatever the syndicators decided to put on the stations when we were watching them after school. As kids, all we wanted to watch was our cartoons. They didn't have many cartoons in syndication. I mean, you'd have Bugs Bunny. You'd have Fred Flintstone. There was often a Hanna-Barbera half hour where you would see Quick Draw McGraw, Huckleberry Hound, McGilla Gorilla, all the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. But for us kids, when we wanted a block of cartoon programming, we had to wait for Saturday morning. Saturday morning cartoons were a thing. And I mean, you'd get basically the same cartoons. There was a Bugs Bunny show. There was a Tom and Jerry show. But it was Saturday mornings where we were introduced to Scooby-Doo. That's when Scooby-Doo premiered. Saturday morning cartoons. The Wacky Racers. That's when they were on. You didn't see them any other time. They were a Saturday morning cartoon. The Jetsons. Only on Saturday mornings. At least as far as I knew. I don't know if the Jetsons premiered any other time. I knew the Flintstones were a primetime show when they first came out. But all I knew the Flintstones as was a syndicated show. But the Jetsons, Saturday morning. They also tried to give us some live-action stuff, H.R. Puffin stuff, The Land of the Lost. They were okay. They were geared towards kids. But we didn't want the live-action adventures. We wanted our cartoons. I mean, we had Josie and the Pussycats. That was a cartoon. We had Star Trek The Animated Adventures. That was a cartoon. We had Hong Kong Fooey. That was a cartoon. And, of course, they had Schoolhouse Rock. Schoolhouse Rock was on ABC, I remember that, and they would separate their cartoons with these little snippets of Schoolhouse Rock. That's where we learned, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Oh yeah, Saturday mornings were great for cartoons. We lived for Saturday mornings. And of course, because Saturday mornings were geared towards the kids, that's when you had all the toy commercials, especially around the holidays. So every commercial for every toy that was aimed at kids, those would air every Saturday morning. And we ate them up. 
Everything from Play-Doh to Silly Putty to Matchbox toys to Lionel trains, whatever toy they were coming up with, they marketed those commercials during our Saturday morning cartoon block. And we loved it. It was a thing, and we loved it. Something else that became a thing that I really looked forward to when I was a kid was Disney World. Now, there was a TV show called The Wonderful World of Disney, and it had Disney-oriented programming every Sunday night. Whether it was a nature show or a cartoon or the first half of a movie, The Wonderful World of Disney was another kid-centered show that we always look forward to. We didn't always watch it because it was often opposite something my dad wanted to watch, and, you know, dad controlled the TV. But when we could, we watched The Wonderful World of Disney, whatever it was. I can't seem to say Wonderful World of Disney. The Wonderful World of Disney. There you go. That does not roll trippingly off the tongue. Let's just call it Disney. But my point in that is that the show existed, and it was on forever. And they still bring it back in various incarnations. But I remember them talking about Disney World coming into existence. And Disney World was like the place to go if you wanted to experience all things Disney. Now, Disney World didn't open until 1971, and Epcot didn't open until a few years after that. And I didn't know anything about vacations back in the 70s. My dad picked vacations. Dad said, this is where we're going, that's where we went. It wasn't until I became a teenager that I realized, oh, Disney World is a cool sounding place. Look at all the stuff that they have. So it was never really a vacation destination that my dad would have ever considered. But as a little kid, I just remember the vibe of Disney World. Disney World, it's a place that exists. And it was one of those little things that was in the back of your head. You really want to go to Disney World. And you'd see commercials for it. And people would talk about trips to Disney World. Kids at school. The neighbors. You'd hear people talk about Disney World. And through the 70s, through the 80s, through the 90s, it was just kind of in your subconscious that Disney World was a place to go. A place you had to see. It was almost mythological in the stories you heard about Disney World. The Haunted Mansion. Tomorrowland. Space Mountain. It wasn't the overpriced, overhyped tourist trap that it's become. It was this mystical place. This mythological place. This place where all the kids' dreams could come true. They spent a good part of my youth hyping that up. And don't get me wrong. I love Disney World. Let me correct that. I love the way Disney World used to be when it was affordable. I mean, it was never a cheap trip, but you didn't used to have to take out a loan to go there. I was reading an article this week. A family of four for one day would cost them about $1,400 in park tickets. Just park tickets for one day. But yeah, Disney World did a really good job of creating this mythology around the park, about creating this reputation about how great a vacation it is. And that all started in the 70s. I mean, they did it even in the commercials after the Super Bowl. They used to have these commercials after the Super Bowl where they'd ask the winning quarterback, you've just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do now? And the quarterback would say, I'm going to Disney World. I don't know when that started, but that was part of it. That was part of the marketing. The first thing that the winning quarterback of the Super Bowl wanted to do was go to Disney World. It must be amazing. And they beat that into us year after year, decade after decade. They don't do it the same way anymore. Because they don't have to. It's already in our heads. But also, Disney World is not the value that it used to be. Disney World is overpriced, overhyped, and normal people can't afford to go there. And it's really a shame. Changing gears entirely. We're going from Disney World to Whiteout. What is Whiteout, you may ask? Well, to folks of a certain age, 
Whiteout was the mistake eraser. Back in the days when we used to have to type our papers, type our reports, type our manuscripts, there was a couple of things that you could do to correct an error on a typed piece of paper. There was correction tape where you could backspace the keyboard, put a little piece of adhesive tape over the letter that you just hit that was incorrect, hit the same key again, and this little piece of adhesive tape would pull the ink off the page. I know it sounds weird, right? We're not used to that. We're not used to having actual ink from an actual ribbon on a page, but that's how typewriters worked. And you could pull that ink off with this adhesive tape. There was also a correction tape, which instead of pulling the ink off, you'd have this little piece of tape that had a white film on it, and you'd backspace over the R if the R was the wrong letter, and you'd put the correction tape in there, and you'd hit the R again, and the key would hit the correction tape so that the R would be erased, actually covered up. But correction tape and the adhesive tape were both a little tricky to use, and also very expensive. The cheap alternative to that was whiteout. And whiteout would work on typewriters, but whiteout would also work on handwritten reports. If you were writing a report with a pen and ink, I know. There was a time where you actually wrote your report on lined white paper with a pen and cursive. But whiteout would work on handwritten notes. It would work on typewriters. You could take whiteout and basically paint over any error that you had. And as long as you were writing on white paper, it worked perfectly. If you were writing on that lined yellow paper, you were out of luck. I seem to recall that they had a yellow out at one point. I may be misremembering that, but I remember whiteout. Whiteout was a godsend because if you're trying to type and you're typing fast and all of a sudden you realize, oh crap, I've made this mistake. You don't have to go back over every letter with your correction tape. If you happen to have correction tape, you could just move the carriage forward, white out the line, wait for it to dry, which would always take too long. You'd be sitting there waiting for it to dry. You'd wind up blowing on the paper. You look like a little bit of a moron blowing on your typewriter. <sighs> but that's how you got the whiteout to dry. And then once it dried, you could type right over it. Same thing when you were writing a report. If you were writing your report, writing whatever you were writing, you would white it out, blow on your paper. <sighs> yes, you had to blow on the paper to get it to dry. But once you got it dry, then you could write over it. And there were plenty of times where you were just too impatient to wait for it to dry. So you'd get it mostly dry and then you'd try to write again and you'd be dragging whiteout across the paper. It was a great invention when you let it work right. You just had to be patient. The last thing I wanted to mention today was an old TV show. This was a TV show that I loved watching as a kid. I had to look it up because I didn't remember the years that it was on. I remember watching it as a kid, and I remember watching it on Saturday nights. It was Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Now, that's the full name of the show. And talk about some great brand management there. Think about that for a second. The show was technically Wild Kingdom, but it was sponsored by Mutual of Omaha, an insurance company in Omaha, Nebraska, which still exists. But to this day, I think of that show as Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. That's how good they were at marketing that show. They have the brand attached to the name of the show, so you don't think of it any other way. And by the way, there is a YouTube channel for the show, so you can go check out the old episodes. But Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom was a nature show. And as a kid, what little kid doesn't like nature shows? It was hosted by a guy named Marlon Perkins. I remember Marlon Perkins. He was anywhere between 50 and 200 years old. I don't know how old he was. I was a little kid. He was an old dude. But he really cared about the animals, about nature, about the environment. He was a zoologist and he hosted this show. And he had this guy named Jim Fowler. He was a nature dude as well. I don't think he was a zoologist. I think he was a naturalist. But I remember Jim Fowler being out in the wild. 
Marlon Perkins would introduce the segments and narrate segments about beavers in their natural habitat, or leopards running across the savanna, or what it was like to live in a pride of lions. And Jim Fowler would be out there, actually with the leopards, or with the lions, or with the beavers, and Marlon was in the safety of the studio. And now we take it to Jim Fowler, who's out at the beaver dam. Poor Jim, he had to do the hard work. Marlon got to stay inside. That's what I remember. Marlon was always inside. Jim was always outside. But I remember the show because it talked about animals. It talked about them in a favorable way. It talked about man's impact on animals. It kind of paved the way for other animal shows that came after it. Everything from Animal Kingdom to Animal Planet to the wide world of animals. I mean, any nature show that you see out there now, you can look back to Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom and thank that show for all of the shows that came after. Because it made us aware of the animal kingdom and man's impact on what was happening to animals and their environments. Now, here's the funny thing about memory. I seem to remember Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom being on forever. But according to what I found out, they aired half-hour shows between 1963 and 1971. And then they aired most of those shows again in repeats from 1971 to 1988. They had some occasional new shows between 71 and 88, but mostly repeats. Now, I don't remember what I was watching. I just remember sitting down and watching Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom and watching it pretty much every Saturday night. I just remember it as a fixture. But it's one of those fixtures that you watch and you watch and you watch and then you stop watching. I'm not sure why I stopped watching. Did they take it off the air and I just never followed up on it? It was on forever, it seemed. And yet it disappeared, and I totally forgot about it for literally decades. But as I was preparing today's episode, I remember watching it week after week, year after year. I remember Wild Kingdom being on all the time and watching it all of the time. And now that I've discovered they actually have a YouTube channel, I'm going to go check it out. Absolutely. You should too. It was a cool show. And it was a fixture in my childhood that I kind of miss. So there's an eclectic mix of things from my childhood and my years growing up that just kind of came together today. We talked about everything from colored toilet paper to whiteout. I mean, you don't get a better mix than that anywhere. Not as far as I know. So I hope you enjoyed the ride. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. As always, I appreciate your support. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be here. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you. 